Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane. Very special episode of the Cigar Cast this week. This week, we want to honor the great Tim Hall. We lost Tim last week shortly after we finished recording the podcast, and we're all saddened by that loss, but we all think back to all the joy he brought into our lives. Tim was a local guy here in Nashville. He had a great career in the music industry, followed by a great career in the cigar industry. And to hear him tell the stories of how he moved from music to cigars and how he enjoyed being with people and being around others and watching Alabama football with him on Saturdays are all the great memories in my life. Tim, he was our very first guest. When Trey and I first conceived of the cigar cast, we knew that the first guest we wanted to have was Tim because he had such an interesting story to tell. Still the only guest we've had that set a microphone in fire. It's kind of ironic that the the one guest that spent the most time in front of a microphone prior to the cigar cast is the only one we've actually had to set a microphone on fire. But we had a lot of fun having doing this interview with Tim and just hanging out with our friend and our condolences go out to his family. He had a wonderful wife of many years. He had daughters. And we're all saddened by the loss, but we can still, through the miracle of modern technology, get to hear Tim one more time. And welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, from reviews, industry news, and all things in between. I'm Trey Dedman, and I'm joined as I will be every week by Shane Reeves. Hello, everyone. I've been so excited all week about this show. This is this is just exactly what we wanted the Cigar Cast to be. This is the first. This is the first time we're going to have a guest on the show, which is exactly the main purpose of the podcast since it uh, came to mind when we started thinking about it months ago. Our guest today is someone we both know pretty well. Um, Tim has been in the shop. Before I even knew he had anything to do with the cigar industry, I probably knew him six months. So knowing Tim is just a joy. And Tim, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you guys so much. Very glad to be here. Very excited about what you guys are doing. Well, we really appreciate it. One of the first things we do uh, whenever we get started is just start smoking a cigar. I see you've got one with you. What are you going to smoke today? Well, forgive me if I butcher the name. You may have to help me here, Trey, but uh, it's the Flor de las Antilles. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's, a pro, it's a cigar by my father, a cigar company, Don Papin, is the one who makes it. And uh, it's actually one of my favorite everyday sticks. Uh, it's a fantastic stick. Got a sun-grown wrapper. It's a, it's a Nicaraguan puro, so that means it's got Nicaraguan binder, filler, and wrapper, and, and uh, just a fantastic. They they call it a, a three-quarter to full-body smoke, uh, and so uh, just just a great great cigar any time of the day. There's very little that comes out of that factory that I don't enjoy. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the thing that's remarkable about this cigar to me, they, oh, this actually was the number number one cigar in 2012, you, you know, by Cigar Aficionado. Uh, and so that, coupled with the price point, uh, it's absolutely just a solid smoke. And, and Don Pepin, as you said, you know, I mean, my gosh, it's hard to to throw a rock at a humidor and not hit a stick that he doesn't have his hand on. (laughs) (laughs) And in in fact, one of my favorite cigars is one that he blends for crowned heads is the Tennessee Walt. So yeah, anything that has his hands on it, I I know I'm going to enjoy it. What are you smoking, Shane? Well, today I went with one of my lighter selections. One of my favorites is an Avo Intermezzo XO. Um, Avo Avazian, piano player. Great story. If you ever get a chance, you should read about his life. He was a piano player, and he noticed in all these piano bars, people would smoke cigars. So through that, to make a long story short, he got into the cigar business. And he always produces a quality cigar to me. I've never had a bad cigar that I've always produced. This one today even has a little bloom on it. Hey, there you go. I I was scared off by... Avo, when I first started smoking cigars, uh, getting in the industry, just because of the price point. But then after I had a few, I realized exactly what was so special about them. They're 
just a great cigar. There is no cigar I reach for after a ribeye steak other than an Avo Heritage. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. That's oh, a great cigar. Oh, just a and after a steak, it just it complements it so perfectly. Now, what are you going to smoke today, Trey? So today I am smoking something from Roma Craft, uh, which is a boutique cigar company that you can't find just everywhere, but they are starting to show up in more and more humidors. Uh, this particular cigar is called the Intemperance, and today I am smoking the. Um, the Envy size, which is a 5x50, which is really not my typical wheelhouse, unfortunately. It's a cigar that I really enjoy, and that was the only size they had in the shop I was in. Um, but it's a it's a Nicaraguan, uh, it's mostly Nicaraguan binder and filler. The, the wrapper is actually Brazilian, and it's Brazilian something I won't even pretend to try and pronounce. Uh, but it's a great three-quarter to full-bodied cigar, similar to what Tim is smoking. But this cigar came out a couple years ago, and I've just been impressed with it ever since. Roma Craft makes the only Candela that I like. For the listeners out there, Candela is the green, the uncured tobacco wrapper. And it's a taste. There's some people I know that really enjoy Candela. Tim, what do, you, do you like Candelas? Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's an acquired taste, I think. I think just like... Uh, there, there's several cigars on the market that, that people either they tend to love or they hate. You know, you know. I don't find a lot of guys that go, yeah, I can. It, it, there, there's usually a visceral reaction to it, and uh, kind of like uh, the Kentucky Fire Cured from your estates. Yeah, you know, uh, some guys will light that up and they just love it, and other guys just hate it, and then. Very few. It's just a visceral reaction, you know, and and so it's it's for it's just just like with you were you know talking about a ribeye steak, you know we the three of us may go sit down at a at a nice restaurant and one may order it rare, one may order it medium rare, one may order it well done. Yeah, you, know, you know it just depends on the palate. You know we may take our coffee, one may take it black or with with cream or cream and sugar, and so. Uh, it really depends on the person's palate whether or not that's going to resonate with them. And for me, Candela is just, uh, it, it, you know, not something that I, I I look forward to. It's not anything. That, it, it's an, it's it's kind of a uh, uh, I don't want to say an anomaly, but but you know, it's it's just it's just a, a one of those things that, that's kind of like, oh well, I'll try it just because it's something different. You know, it's not something I go to as an everyday smoke or something. I, I wouldn't buy a box of. Yeah, and I think you'll see them sell around St. Patrick's Day quite a bit. Sure. And that's really about the only time I ever see anyone buying it. To me, they taste too much like the dirt they were grown in. Yeah. That's that's all I can taste. Well, it to me, it kind of gives it a creamier flavor, just a little more creaminess to the cigar. Sure. Um, Fuente makes one. I'm not as big a fan of Fuentes. Roma Craft, like I said, really makes the only one I really like. But, Tim, before we get too deep into our basic cigar philosophy, I want you to tell the listeners who you are. Tell us your story. Okay. Well, I, you know, I I, uh, I started out in the cigar industry four or five years ago. Uh, I was a cigar smoker prior to actually being in the industry. But um, whenever I, I... I worked in the music industry for a long time and still continue to do that. And uh, there are many stages in my career that that I had worked uh, first as a musician and then producer, engineers, different things that I did and uh, and moved over into marketing and branding and, and helping other artists do things. And so I wanted to bring that uh, experience to the cigar industry as well. Um, and my intention was to actually open a shop. Um, but before I opened a shop, I wanted to learn everything I could about the internal workings of the industry, not just on the retail side, but also the manufacturers, the sales force that bring the cigars to the retail guys, things like that. And so I decided to go about that by uh, trying to find a company that I could work for as a rep. And uh, as I started exploring, I understood that just like with any industry, uh, you have major companies um, that bring products to the market, but then you also have the smaller uh, companies that that we know now as boutique companies. When I first started, I didn't even know what a boutique was, where cigars were, were concerned. And so 
basically a boutique is just an independent mom and pop type operation or a smaller company that doesn't have a major corporation behind them funding their operations. They just have a passion and they have a product that they want to bring out to the public. And so I thought if I could connect with, with a small company like that and, and kind of learn the inner workings of the industry, I could also bring to bear my experience with marketing and, and point of sale and, and uh, uh, advertising and social media, those, those different things that I had experience in to that company. And so that's basically how I, I got in. I just approached a company uh, and uh, they gave me the opportunity to, to start and then we went from there. How many years ago was this? That was about uh, five years ago that I did that. And who was your company? The very first company that I approached uh, was a company called Crossfire Cigars out of Kentucky. Um, every year, the, the big event for the cigar industry is the IPCPR. And so uh, I, I didn't even know where to start as far as finding these, these smaller companies. And so the way I did it, IPCPR, when they had their convention, they published a list of exhibitors. And you have to kind of dig through their site to find it. But... Uh, they'll actually give you a list of of where their exhibitors are going to be placed within the convention hall. And this particular year, uh, the show was in Las Vegas. And so I started looking at all the different names and didn't know a lot of the names, you know, uh, uh, especially when we're talking about a boutique company, a smaller company. Uh, there was no way for me to know because they didn't have the funds or the advertising. You know, they weren't in, in the cigar magazines or didn't have the notoriety uh, that these other majors had. And so I didn't know how to how to delineate, you know, who was a, a right fit for me. And so I started going through the list of exhibitors and I started noticing that, that you know, the bigger companies would, would be in, they would have 30 booth spaces. And then, but the mom and pops would have one or two booth spaces. And so I could kind of judge by the amount of booth space that they had at the show how big their company was. And so I went for those two to three booth space companies and I started kind of vetting them. I, I went on YouTube uh, and I would look at the name and I would, I would Google them. At the time there was this, uh, and they, they still exist, uh, it was a social media uh, company called Cigar Federation uh, that would do uh, video casts uh, dealing mainly with boutiques, and so I would I would find the name of a company, and and then I would go and and look at Cigar Federation to see if they had done a feature on one of these small companies, so I could learn more about the company to see if they were fit. Well, Crossfire was one of these companies that I saw that they had uh, they had two booths uh, when I looked, and so uh, I saw Cigar Federation did a piece on them and. Uh, Delicia Silva, also known as the Cigar Vixen, she did a, a piece uh, on them uh, at IPCPR that year. And so uh, I heard about their mission, heard about uh, their product, uh, and I was sold on them as a company and, and what they were about. Contacted them directly, uh, shared my, my passion, my experience, and uh, next thing I knew, I was driving up to Louisville, Kentucky to meet with them. and. Uh, came home from that meeting with a, a trunk full of samples and product and started selling cigars. <laughs> now, would, would that method, has the industry changed so much that that method of, of finding someone and just, just being bold enough to ask, do you think that would work now? I, I do think so. I mean, for, for uh, uh, you, you know, the, the problem that the boutique companies have is that um, they don't have the funding that these major corporations have to get their product out. And so anytime that they can find someone that's passionate about their product, because that's, that's really what it is. For, for me, I, I had, you know, when I started out, I, I had to ask guys if I could, if I could work for them. And, and by the way, this was a straight commission job too. It wasn't like, you know, they put me on salary. It was, uh, you know, yeah, we'll give you the opportunity, but you know, you've got to, you've got to earn your keep here. You know, mm -hmm. that's what we all do, and uh, <clears throat> and so I think there's plenty of boutique companies out there still that would welcome someone that's passionate about their product, and that will go in and make the calls and, and visit the the retailers and tell their story. Yeah, you know, there's plenty of companies out there that still would would love to have someone to do that. 
Now, what was your first cigar? When you remember back and think back to that first real premium cigar, what was my, it? My, fir- my first real, real cigar, you know, my first cigar would probably be one of the little, you know, blue or pink, <laughs> you know, cigars <laughs> that, that a buddy gave me when they had a child or something. But my first real premium cigar was an Ashton VSG uh, Sun Grum. I had a buddy who, uh, you know, I, I was not a cigar smoker, but he, he came to town and uh, he said, you smoke cigars? I said, no, not really. I, I, I would, but I, I just never have, you know. And, uh, and so he took me to uh, a, uh, a shop downtown Nashville. He walked in and, and uh, laid down 12 bucks for a cigar for me. And I was like, $12 for a cigar? Are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> well, I, know I just want one, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't want a box. Well, right. I just want one. What are you talking about? And, uh, and so, and that ruined me. I mean, that was just like, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how good this could be, you know. And, and uh, so, but that was my very first one was an Ashton VSG. And that's a really stout cigar Absolutely. for a first cigar. That's, that's. Starting with a fifty cal—that's that's not working your way up. <laughs> Which I had no clue. I—I I, I didn't know. You know, it was just—it was—it was brown. It was a cigar, and it was on fire, so I smoked it. You know, <laughs> that's always a good policy. Mm-hmm. If you say if it's brown, if it's on fire, go ahead and smoke. That's it. right. <laughs> Unless it's on your porch in a brown paper bag. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, then use a shovel. Don't stop. We've right. all fell for that at least once. <laughs> so, so where did you go from Crossfire? Uh, from from Crossfire, but I I learned very quickly that that being uh, because I was working on commission that I had to have uh, if I got a no on that first one I had to have uh, you know a second uh, a second choice for for my customer uh, and a third choice and a fourth choice and so um, I understood that very quickly because you, you know I thought hey I've got the greatest product in the world this is a fantastic Cigar, uh, you know, well, they had three or four cigars actually, but in their line. But um, a great manufacturer, a guy named William Ventura, uh, down the DR that was making the cigars was just absolutely. Construction was amazing, the burn, the, the ash, everything was fantastic. Great price point. Uh, they were a charitable organization as well. Uh, the funds went to to help people in the DR and things of that nature, and it was all legit. It wasn't just a, a gimmick to to sell uh, to sell the cigar. Yeah, you know, it was it was actually true. And and uh, and so, as passionate as I was about the product, the retailer not so much. You know, you know, they're like, okay, that's great. Yeah, we'll take a box of it. What else you got? And I was like, well, okay, if I want to continue selling the cigars, I'm going to have to expand my catalog here. And so. Uh, so I started approaching other boutique companies, and uh, the, I think that the next one that I signed on with was Cordoba and Morales, a husband and wife team uh, out of Orlando, Florida. A guy uh, named uh, Z uh, is, is what, I, what everybody knows him by. I can't even, Azaras Mustafa is his real name. Uh, he's a, a, a true Cuban uh, guy and <clears throat> came from a 100-year tradition in his family of making cigars in Cuba. Uh, but he had he had come over here uh, at a very early age, became a golf pro, and uh, and then after after years of doing that, working at Disney as a golf pro, uh, he decided to go back and pick up the tradition of his grandmother. Actually, was kind of the ma- the matriarch of the family, and uh, and started making cigars that uh, that kind of were a tribute to his grandmother and also his experience in the golf industry. He had like a 19th hole and a front nine and the totals like that, different things. And, and uh, again, I found him by a guy named Brian Glenn, uh, ran a, a, a video cast called Cigar Obsession on YouTube. It's probably one of the most watched ones out there. And he smoked, he was smoking and reviewing one of his Maduro, the, the 19th hole. Uh, and he's, Brian Glenn, this is not my words, Brian Glenn said, this is probably the best cigar I've ever smoked. And so I was like, holy cow, best cigar you ever smoked. I mean, I'm like, by this time I had been smoking for a while too. And I was like, well, I got to try one of those that, you, you know, and I went and smoked one. I did. I thought, man, a fantastic cigar, great cigar. I wouldn't say it's the best cigar I ever smoked, but I thought it was a great mm-hmm. cigar. Uh, so much so that I contacted Z and, and, uh, 
and said, told him my story, and 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 it just so happened they they were going to be in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is not far from where we all live, and uh, and so I, I went and met him in Murfreesboro, spent the weekend with he and his wife, and and uh, and brought them on, became they became family to to me and my family, and and. Uh, so they were the second one that I, that I went. And then from there, I just I worked with a guy, added a guy named Paul Stulag from Canada, fantastic cigar maker, uh, Blue Mountain Cigars, a guy from Jamaica, you, you know, uh, Aaron Doza Cigars, uh, is a, a, a guy named Robert Arango uh, that was working with Eric Espinoza at the time. Uh, and it just it just kind of snowballed. I, I got more and more and more uh, with with those, and then um, I I eventually picked up uh, the La Serena cigars, which uh, my intent was to add them to my catalog, and I would be representing four or five different brands, you know, that I, at one time. Uh, and La Serena had just left, uh, or they were in the process actually of leaving Miami Cigar Company. They had been bought out. Uh, they had bought out their their share. They were equal partners with Nestor Miranda and Miami Cigars, uh, but REL, uh, which was the owner of, of La Serena, decided that she wanted to be totally independent. So she bought out Nestor's share, and when she did that, she asked me if I would come on as the national sales manager uh, and let basically all the other ones go. And uh, and so I I, uh, I converted over into being full time with La Serena as national sales manager hired a sales force and ran the sales force for the entire country and even some international accounts as well. That's So you had about four or five companies and just dropped them all to take this opportunity? I did, yeah, I, I did. Um, because, again, my, my goal was, you know, like I, I shared with Shane and, and yourself in the beginning, uh, I, I first had to knock on the doors and start asking people, hey, I've got a passion for, for the cigar industry. Will you let me rip your product? By the time that I got into it, people were calling me because I had built a name and had built a clientele. And uh, I'd actually had hired a, a, uh, another guy that was a manager of one of the retail shops. He was wanting to get into repping. And so I'd expanded my territory. I started with four states, and I expanded that into eight states throughout the southeast gave him four states, I hired him, gave him four states, and I covered four states. By the time I got to that level, people had started calling me, asking me to rep their product. And uh, I actually had, there, there were times, I had one rep, a guy, uh, a guy sent me uh, three boxes of, of, their, of their product. And I mean, their, their packaging, everything was fantastic. I mean, it looked great, it was great on paper. Uh, and, and in the box he sent me, he sent me a blank check, and he says, I want, I want you to rip my product. Wow. And, uh, and so I, I was like, this is incredible. You know how, you know, I mean, God, I hope the cigar is decent. You know, you know. <laughs> that's where my mind was going. It's <laughs> yeah. the worst cigar I ever smoked. <laughs> and I, and that, that's why I'm not saying who it was, because it was, it, it was three different cigars. I smoked all three of them. And, and I just honestly, I, I had to write him back and, or, or call him back and say, man, I appreciate the offer. You don't know how much uh, I appreciate it, but I honestly do not think that there, there, were, there were two issues. There, the first one was I didn't believe in the cigars and the branding of the cigar I didn't think would resonate in the Southeast. And so it, it were, where my territory was and, and things of that nature. And so... Uh, for, for me, it wasn't so much about money. I mean, I, I need to eat, and obviously, you, you know, fortunately the listeners can't see me, but I, I don't have a problem with Are it. you kidding? You're svelte. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Olympic athletes, what I think of. Swimmer, that's what I think of when I see Tim. A young Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. There you go. Well, I appreciate that. You and my wife both, unfortunately. But, uh, but you, you know, it's one of those things that, that I can't sell uh, you know, some people say I can be rented, but I can't be bought. You know that that kind of thing. Well, and that and to a, to a degree that is true as far as that goes. But honestly, in in this community, in in this industry, uh, for me personally, it was one of those things that I was just so intent that I was not going to 
I wasn't just going out selling a product. That wasn't to me. Uh, I was I was selling a story, you, you know. And and uh, if I didn't believe the story, uh, well then. I couldn't believe in the product. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't believe in the product, I couldn't believe the story. And so, <clears throat> so with uh, with this particular uh, individual that offered me the job, I had to tell him. I said, you know, I appreciate it so much, uh, and I could certainly use the money, but uh, I just can't. Uh, I just can't sell your cigars. Have you ever been part of a had a line of cigars? And all of a sudden, they start going a direction you don't want to go, and had to drop them. I'm just tremendously curious. Uh, yeah, I have. I'm, I mean, not had to drop them, but uh, you, you know, there, there have been companies that that you go in and you sell um, you sell a retailer a product, and you say this is what the product is, and then the manufacturer of that product decides that they're going to cut corners. Uh, they're going to try to um, increase their bottom line, make more profit. So maybe now they're, instead of using Leaf X, they're going to use Leaf Y instead and still want you to pass that cigar off as the same cigar. Uh, and I have a problem with that. You know, I have a problem with that. And so uh, and some manufacturers will say, you know, we're just tweaking the blend, <laughs> you know, well, maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But for me, in my position and the relationship I had with the people I worked with, in times when things like that happened, I would vet the process. And number one, I would see if it was better. Uh, but number two, I would figure out, you know, are, are, is, this, is this a sales thing or is this truly, an, an, you know, the, an effort to make this better? And... Uh, but regardless of what the situation was, I was always uh, straight up with the, with the retailer. I always told them, even if the manufacturer didn't want me to, because my relationship with that retailer was the most important thing to me. Yet, you know, is that I, I wanted to do my job for the person I was working for. But but essentially, as a broker, you're independent. You you have an independent business, and I'm I'm a reseller. I'm a wholesaler essentially, and so my relationship with that retailer is more important than my re, re, uh, my relationship with a manufacturer because that's my business. And because you've proven time and time again, if you need a, need to find a new retailer or a, a new manufacturer, that's, that's the easy part. Rebuilding a retailer's relationship is hard. And I, what you described with the changing of blends, and the, I call it the general treatment. Because uh, it seems like every time General Cigar buys up a smaller boutique, the, one of the first things they do is change the blends. And it seems to not usually be for the better. I'm not to say there are some exceptions to that, but that's kind of that's the first thing that pops in my mind when you start talking about that. And I do want to say there is going to be some variation from year to year in your cigar. Um, Hinky, the head blender for Avo, he came to one of our local shops, and I got to meet him and spend a few minutes talking to him because, again, the back end of the industry really fascinates me. And he said, Shane. Making a cigar is not hard. Making the same cigar twice is very hard. Sure. It's an agricultural product, you know. There's always going to be some variation between the soil and the sun and the seeds and all of that stuff. No matter how hard they try to make it cohesive, there's always going to be some. I mean, even box-to-box, batch-to-batch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I I think it it boils down to, just like you were saying earlier as well, Whenever, it's, whenever you have a major corporation versus a boutique company, when a boutique grows themselves to a point that a major corporation wants to buy them out, it becomes a product of money. That's, that's what the corporation sees. Where the boutique sees a passion. It's something they love. It's something that, that is in, has intrinsic value to them. It's their heritage. It's, it's something that means something to them. It's not just something that they can make a living off of, although that is important. Uh, and so when that corporation buys that small boutique up, it all becomes about the bottom line. It doesn't, they don't remember, you know, the grandmother in the field in Havana, Cuba, you know, uh, 
you know, they don't remember her teaching the grandson, this is the way that we, this is when we harvest, this is why we harvest, this is when we plant, this is why we cure, this is how long we cure, this is how we roll, you know, this mm-hmm. is the, the leaf, the, you know, this is how we package it, this is how, all those things are, are things that are, are like family values to, uh, to, to uh, other people, you know, some people have traditions in their family of the way they cook their Thanksgiving meal or the, the way that they, uh, you know, wrap their presents or, or whatever. Those are things that, that they go, we always do this because this is the way our family, this is how our family does this. Well, these manufacturers, uh, these little boutiques, they create cigars that way. They say, this is the way that we do, this is how we create cigars. Then you have a corporation come in, no matter who it is, they go, we've got 50,000 different cigars here and we make them all this way you know, mm-hmm. you know and so so that process now becomes industrialized and and, uh, and so you know automated or whatever you want to call it and you lose that uniqueness to right the brand yeah it's a it's a people business first Absolutely. and and that's what I think the boutiques really recognize well let's uh, take a minute uh, take a quick break and come back this has been fascinating I can't wait to hear more The Cigar Cast presents Cigar Etiquette Tip of the Week. If you're going to be using a house cutter at your neighborhood cigar shop, there's no need to lick the end of your cigar or otherwise put it in your mouth before using it. I realize it feels good on the lips, and that's why you're about to light it up in the first place, but I assure you, the guy who comes along behind you is not going to want to taste your saliva on the end of his Padron. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. I'm sitting here enjoying this AVO. I'm Shane Reeves speaking, sitting here with Tim Hall and Trey Dedman. We've been interviewing Tim, and he's given us so much really exciting information on the front end of the show. I just... um, I just really appreciate having someone with such a wealth of knowledge in here with us. And that's really been the goal all along. There is something that we haven't touched on yet that I want to, though, and that's uh, one of the questions we want to ask every guest that we have on is, what is your what is your desert island stick? You can only smoke one cigar for the rest of your life. What is it? Wow, that's, that's a tough one uh, because, you, you know, it's just uh, that's like – what one food would you eat the rest of your life? You know, I mean, I love banana pudding, but <laughs> I don't want to eat it, you know, 24-7, seven days a week. Uh, I would probably have to say, if money's no object, uh, it would probably be a stick that uh, Fuente makes. It's the, the Don Carlos oh. Eye of the Shark is my absolute, that would be, if I couldn't smoke any other cigar, if it was my only cigar ever to smoke again, that would probably be the one I would choose to smoke. That's one that doesn't cross my mind all the time because you have to preface it with if price is no object. Right. But my goodness, is that a fantastic cigar. And that's an interesting cigar in my life because it's a cigar I should not like. Mm-hmm. It's a box press. It's a torpedo. <laughs> two things that I'm not huge fans of. Same. It's a Fuente. And Fuente makes great cigars, sure, sure. but they don't always come alive on my palate yeah. as some other brands I have. I've had do. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing I love about it, it's always been a very well balanced cigar. It, it, it uh, the the burn, the ash is always great, but the consistency of that cigar, uh, you know, whenever it's came out uh, year to year, I've never had a, a version of it that I haven't absolutely just loved, and, and so. Um, that that would be it. If I if I could have an asterisk, the the second one. If I if it couldn't be that one, and uh, it would have to be the Padron 45th anniversary. That's that would be that would be my second choice. That's another tremendous cigar. Yeah. Now, you you mentioned something in the first half of the show that really kind of got me thinking. You were talking about one of the brands that you enjoyed the cigar, but demographic wise, it maybe didn't fit with your territory. Right. One of the things I've noticed marketing-wise is that there's a lot more focus on that in the industry these days. You know, gone are the days where the 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 pinup girls on the calendars and the the playboys in the back of the lounge. That's kind of going away. Is have you noticed that from your side of things as well? 
Yeah, you, you, you know, I mean, it's regardless of what we say or think, the reality is that times they are a changer. <laughs> and so, uh, whenever you look at at any business, if it's going to stay in business, it has to change with the times. And so, uh, I think that, that retailers and manufacturers have, for the first time in, uh, in the history of this industry, have realized the value of a demographic that they've never catered to, and that's, that's the female demographic. You know, used to you would never see a woman in a cigar shop. That just wasn't something you would see. And now both of you, half the time I see you in the cigar shop is with your wives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we, we love it. My, my wife actually uh, smokes cigars as well, not not to the point that I do, but uh, she, she enjoys uh, a cigar now and then. And, and, uh, and so when it started dawning on people that these aren't, uh, you, you know, just um, add-ons. These are actual customer base here. You know, when they when they saw that, hey, we can uh, we can actually expand our customer base by catering to women as well as men. Uh, well, then, regardless of you know, you still have some that, that the old boys club, and that's. That's all they want, you know, and, and uh, I'm sure that that will always exist. Uh, but the more progressive, the, the ones that, that are uh, living, you know, in, in 2017 and, and know what's going on and are going to be successful, understand that, that uh, women are consumers of this product as well. Uh, and they're a, while they're not as large a demographic as, as the male population is, uh, they are a significant one and one that deserves respect and deserves uh, the attention of the manufacturers. Well, I'm all for embracing change, but I'm going to tell you both, I'm not selling my monocle. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't have my monocle, I cannot enjoy my cigar. I'm sorry. It's just part of life. You can have your monocle and your Monica. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that I've seen on the retail side of things behind the counter is how many women, especially, you know, we just got through the holiday season, you used to see a lot of women come in the shop to buy cigars as gifts. And I think by creating an environment, especially from the marketing background that I have, if I know that a woman's going to be looking at my product, I'm not going to, or any demographic, but specifically in this case, um, I'm not going to do anything to put a bad taste in that person's mouth when they see my product on the shelf in a humidor. And I don't want to give one consumer an excuse to say, to say no to me, you know, if the if the person's wife feels like it's a nasty habit to begin with, and then feel like they're being ogled when they walk in a shop, and feel like they're basically being told to leave, they're going to stop embracing that hobby with their significant other. Again, eventually get them to stop. But it, you know, um, I, so from a marketing standpoint, I think it's it, it makes sense to be inclusive. Oh, absolutely, no no question. And and uh, I mean, we've got. I, I remember an occasion one time Shane, uh, whenever he and I first met, and he. He, uh, he first learned that I worked for uh, 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 one of these companies. You know, some of the feedback he gave me was that it, it seemed to fit the product. <laughs> that sounds bad the way I'm saying it, but it, that the cigar uh, seemed to fit the, the marketing of the of the, the cigar seemed too feminine as far as that goes, uh, and and which which I agreed with. You, you know, I mean, uh, and, and so. Unfortunately, sometimes you get you get people. Uh, you know, I I encountered this in the music industry all the time. You get a creative person that has an idea, and that they run with that because they're so passionate about the idea that they don't understand and don't consider the way that it's being communicated. And and so you can have the best product or the best idea, but if you can't communicate to the consumer what they need to see or hear, they won't buy it, you, you know? And so um, so it's not enough just to have a great cigar. You have to have a way of communicating what that cigar is to that uh, consumer because when they walk in a humidor, 
they have literally hundreds of options. If it's a well-stocked humidor, you, you know, they have hundreds of options. And what's going to, if, if you're not in there and, and there's not, uh, you know, someone from the shop that's in that humidor, um, then what's going to make them go to your cigar and pull it off the shelf versus the, uh, the hundred other choices that they have in that humidor? And I will say, speaking about cigar culture, to the culture, my wife has gone into cigar shops with me all over the country, and I've never had a cigar guy treat her with anything less than the utmost respect. I've always, I really love that. I love going somewhere with my wife where we can sit, relax, watch a football game, and gentlemen are going to watch their language. There was an incident one time that I did correct a gentleman because he was using some very foul language and was very... Um, passionate about that and I said hey my wife is sitting right here and he walked up he apologized to her he shook my hand he's still a friend of ours to date Um, I won't say his name but I'm sure you'll know him when I tell you and I think higher of him because he did correct himself. I do feel like that's so important in the cigar industry. Absolutely. And I know I, I've had the opportunity because my ex-wife used to go to the cigar shop with me as well. And, and I've had the opportunity, as I know you have, to, sh- to uh, smoke in shops all over the country. And I feel like we can potentially become a little reticent here in the southeast because we kind of expect it. But in your experience in other parts of the, of the country, do you still get that same level of uh, gentlemanliness, for lack of a better in, word? In there, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, uh, it's all cultural. And so there's cultural norms in, in every segment of the United States, um, something that, that we would, you know, hold fast and true uh, in Tennessee may not be the same in New York, but it doesn't mean that they're disrespectful of their people. It's just their culture. And so something that a lady may expect in Tennessee, a lady in New York may not expect that same treatment that same way. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you you know, I've been in cigar shops in New York where the ladies drop more (laughs) F-bombs than any guy I've been around here in Tennessee, you you know. And and so, uh, like Shane was was saying about the inappropriate language, well, there's some places that, that even the ladies you know, or, or worse than, than the men that are here, you know. And so uh, so I think that's a cultural thing. I don't think it's, uh, you know, necessarily a matter of disrespect. But, uh, but again, it's just, you, you know, you go, you go in a shop in New York, uh, a guy may, may look at you and just stand there and, and, and uh, may, may wait for you to say something to him before he engages you. Here in in the southeast, you walk in the front door. Hey, buddy, how you doing? What's going on? Can I help you with anything? You, you know, it, it's a cultural thing. It's not. It's not. You know, it's just culture, and uh, it's just the way that people are. Uh, but you'll find people in upstate New York that that also uh, are even more welcoming than someone here in the south. And so it just it just depends on on the person. Yeah, we we talked about uh, on last week's episode. We talked about uh, the different people you meet in a cigar shop, and one of those is El Presidente, or I call him the Mayor, right. and it's exactly that person you're talking about—the yeah. guy that, as soon as you walk through the door, here, let me show you the humidor. Let me right. show you the shop. We're sitting over here. Come join us. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Now, as we're moving through, and I'm picking your brain here because sure. I really—that's really what I wanted to do during this episode. What is, in your opinion, the new smoker? The new guy that has just come in that's not ever smoked premium cigars on a regular basis, what should he be looking for when he looks at a humidor to find a cigar he will enjoy? Well, it's, it's just um, un, under, first thing is, is not be scared to, to be honest about where he's at in his cigar journey. You know, uh, not be afraid to ask questions. And uh, hopefully you have, um, you know, a retailer that is passionate about cigars. And for that reason, they want to educate their customers. They want to talk to their customers. And so when they go into a humidor, uh, there's questions that I ask uh, a, 
a, a someone who's wanting to buy a cigar. Someone comes to me in a humidor and says, "Hey, I want to buy uh, a cigar. Never smoked one. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I should buy." Well, you know, as we talked about my first cigar, uh, you, you know, it was a pretty heavy cigar that I started with. A lot, a lot of times, a guy will just go, "Okay, we'll give him something, a Connecticut shade, something really soft, easy, whatever, yada yada yada." Yeah, you know, just to kind of yeah buy buy one of these, buy the Undercrown shade. It's great, great for a cigar, I think, for for someone. Um, great thousand cigar too. I, I smoke Undercrown shades. I love them. Um, but the the thing that that hopefully will happen is that that person at Humidor will know the questions to ask that new guy. Uh, but because really the weight of that should be on the retail shop, not on that customer. That customer's coming there to learn and and to to purchase something. And so we as people in the cigar industry should be willing to embrace them and help them because we all had our first cigar. And so, you know, I, I'll ask questions of someone like, how do you drink your coffee? Do you drink it with milk? Do you drink it with milk and cream? Or do you like it black? That's one of my go-to questions when I'm trying to discern someone's palate as well. Well, because a palate is a palate. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It, you know, a palate is a palate. And so if they like their coffee black, if they like their steaks raw, you know, they're, they're going to be more, they want something bold. They'll, you know, I would have no problem giving them a, a Maduro if, they, if they're that kind of, kind of guy. But if it goes, yeah, well, I, I'd like, you know, six scoops of sugar and, and two, you know, two cups of milk in my coffee. And, uh, yeah, well, then I go, okay. And I drink Bud Light and right. lagers and beers. Right. And well, that, that, that tells me, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it just tells me what they enjoy on their palate, and that's really all that matters. So I see so many guys that buy cigars to impress guys they're, they're, they're smoking with, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, you, you buy a cigar to impress yourself, to say, I enjoy A cigar is, is I've always called it the great equalizer. You know, because a kid that is 18 years old in, in our state can walk into a humidor and buy the same cigar that a guy that's 60 years old and a multi-billionaire, they can go in the same humidor and buy the same cigar, at least for the day. You know, because there's, there's no astronomical price cigars. I mean, you, you know, the typical cigar is going to be in the in the $10 to $12 range and, and uh Sure, you might have your $25, $30, $40 upper end. Most most of the time is the upper end. Uh, and so that kid can go in there and, and buy that same cigar if he wants to, you know. And so so that, that cigar is, is for strictly for that customer. It's not for anybody else. And so you got to find out what makes that customer happy and, and supply them with that. So in interest of that, here at the Cigar Cast, we always have the same segment every week where we talk about the best cigar under $8. And this is not just geared to the first-time smoker, but it it is nice that the first-time smoker can know that they can go into a cigar into a humidor and not have to lay down a lot of money to find it. So this week, we're going to talk about the cigar you're actually smoking, the Flor de las Antillas. Um, you guys learn up. quick. You said it right. Very proud of myself. It is a Nicaraguan Puro. It is a medium body. The one I'm looking at is the Robusto. It's five inches long. It's a 50 ring gauge. I would say that's a 45 minute to an hour smoke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for, you know, for six bucks, seven bucks, you can pick one of those up and you can spend time with that billionaire finding out how he got there. That's right. And I'll, if he if he does tell you, go ahead and buy him one of his favorites. <laughs> but we'll care, cover that in Etiquette of the Week. <laughs> but the cigar under $8 this week, again, let's talk the Florida Centilius Robusto. It is made by Don Pepin. Yes. And just great cigar. It is. It, the, I, I can't say enough good things about the My Father Factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, and I think, f- for me, one of the big things that they do so well is construction. And again, as a as a new cigar smoker, it may not always be priced, but it could be about the experience. You know, if your first few cigars all fall apart on you and you can't keep them lit, you know, some of that might be the humidor you get it from. Or the, sure. But it, it comes a lot to construction, and I never have construction issues with my father's cigars. Talking about construction, 
Um, we're coming kind of toward the end of our show here, and we've really enjoyed having you. Definitely would love to have you back on some future episodes because I would love to have the listeners out there get a hold of us and give us questions for Tim. Sure. I, I imagine after this we'll be able to do a whole show just on questions for Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. Uh, but if, if you're interested in getting in touch with us, uh, you can always drop us an email at info at thecigarcast.com. Uh, we read everything that comes in, but also we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at The Cigar Cast. So, Tim, as we wrap up, one last question I have for you that I really want to understand. When someone hands you a cigar and you're deciding, is this a quality premium cigar, what are the top three factors which you need to see in that cigar for it to be great? The top three? Well, I, I look uh, first at the draw. It's something that's important to me. I don't want it to be too tight. I don't want it to be too loose. Uh, if it's too tight, it just makes for a very unenjoyable experience continually fighting it uh, throughout the, the whole process of trying to smoke it. If it's too loose, it burns too fast, and, uh, and something that should last an hour and a half only lasts 30 minutes. So I, I want to make sure that, uh, that the draw is good. And I can tolerate bad flavor much more than I can tolerate a bad draw. Yeah. That's... That's number one for me as well. Right. Um, next, I would say, um, would, would be the the flavor is something that, it, you know, obviously, I, I like to see something that, uh, so, some guys want to see something that transitions throughout the cigar, that they want, you know, the, the first third to taste one way, the second third to taste one way, and and then it can revisit the first third and the last third if it wants to. or what. Some guys like that. For me, I, I like consistency, personally, and it's a personal thing. You know, I just like for from that that first draw to the last draw, I like for it to be pretty much the same. Yet, you know, so I like consistency and flavor, um, and and then uh, the the burn. You know, how does it how does it actually burn? Does does it uh, which also is impacts the 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 draw? Uh, it, it, that's all. That burn is is based off of the construction of the cigar you know is it constructed well so that uh you, you know is it is it flaking off every every other second you know is, or, or is it actually holding an ash the whole time you, you know and, and i'm getting two or three inches of ash without having to ash because it's so well constructed so so i'd say the draw the flavor and the construction are the three things that really matter the most to me that is that is great information. I appreciate you sharing with that, and I can't wait to have you back on. Um, but I believe that does wrap us up. Uh, I'm Trey Dedman. I'm Shane Reeves. I'm Tim Hall. Everyone have a great week. Yeah.